And so if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of James? We're going to be in the fourth chapter. James is going to be in the New Testament if you're new to God's Word. And so just go ahead and head all the way to the end. You'll find Revelation. If you hit the maps, you've gone too far. Those won't help you in Kansas City, by the way. If you're lost in Gaza or Jerusalem, maybe over there. Um, but just back up to Revelation and then keep backing up a few books. And uh, you'll stumble upon the book of James. We've been walking systematically through uh, James. And James is one of these books, man, that just... It lit my faith on fire early on, and, and so I'm so excited just to dive back in because I believe tonight that if you can lean in and listen up, and I know I say this most weeks, but I believe that the Word of God, whenever it is open, it demands a response, and there's so many things that, that we just, we just kind of do naturally in our life, and, and I know that I'm guilty of this as well. You just kind of are making it through life, and now we're in young adult years, and we're just trying to traverse these uncharted waters of life, and and oftentimes, if when we come to God's Word and we open up God's Word, man, it begins to read us. And we come and it begins to change us if we would have so allowed. And so I'm so glad you're here. And where we're headed tonight, I believe, is one of these messages that for me, man, it liberated me and it gave me knowledge to be able to navigate my young adult years. And I'm praying, oh God, I'm praying that you would lean in, take some notes, even if you will, like Winston was saying, it'll make you look more spiritual and, you'll, and you have a greater likelihood of going to heaven if you take notes. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that in the Bible. Anyway, it's so tough crowd. Y'all get it here in a minute. Um, and so anyway, uh, that you would take some notes and you begin to own the content. It begin to own you because, again, I believe if you can apply the principles, man, it'll affect your life greatly in a great way. So I'm a dad of three girls. Uh, Y'all pray for me, okay? And anyway, my two older girls, I love taking them grocery shopping. I know it sounds kind of weird, but I love just taking them grocery shopping, especially when we can land one of these shopping carts right here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The one where they can kind of like get into the driver's seat. Now, now this one's awesome, but for them, if it's pink and has some sort of princess swag on the side, oh man, they, they would stay in the grocery store all day. And so anyway, I love getting them in one of these things. I get them buckled in and they grab that steering wheel and and I love it because my wife, um, I never go to the grocery store unless my wife has told me what to do. In fact, she's already given me a list of things I need to get b before I come home tonight. Anyway, and so I go to the store. I've got a limited time, and I've got to accomplish some purposes. And, and I love taking my kids along the way, especially putting them in one of these things because they get to steer, and I love watching them. And so we get into the grocery store, and I watch them. And if they turn left, I'm like, oh, let's go left, right? And, and, and they've got some plans, but I've got some plans too. And there's this illusion that they have that they're kind of... Of navigating the grocery store. And so I lead them to places, and, and this makes sense, like if we're going down this aisle, and they're like, ooh, Gatorade. Gatorade's a treat in my house. I don't know how you were raised, but we grew up on Kool-Aid, and so Gatorade's a treat in my house, all right? My people, you know what you're talking about. Anyway, and so when I go to the Gatorade aisle, I'm like, girls, I'm about to treat y'all. We're about to get some Gatorade, like, like not the Shasta brand, like the Gatorade, right? And so we, when we run down that aisle, like I see them start breaking left, and so I start turning left, and they think that they've chosen that aisle, but I've been directing them to that aisle. And when we get there, I say, all right, girls, let's stop. Now, you got the liberty to make a decision on which kind of Gatorade you want. Daddy's going to buy you any kind of color Gatorade you want, but you only get one, all right? So you can get blue, orange, white, red, whatever you want. And so they picked blue last time, so we put blue in the shopping cart, and then we, we're going on. And so we go to the next aisle, and it's the liquor aisle. And now they don't know really, they don't know what liquor is, um, but they know that it's pretty bottles, and it's shiny, and so they're like, you know, trying to turn into the liquor aisle, and I'm like, no, we ain't going down the liquor aisle, right? <laughs> yeah, choose anything you want, Dad of the Year Award, right? And so anyway, I, and I direct them away from the liquor aisle. 
I mean, I think this is such a great story to illustrate our relationship with Christ. And I tell you that story because I think it allows us to begin to see that, that so often when it comes to our life, we feel like we're at the driver's seat and we're turning this way and, and turning that way. And, and God is, uh, and our Father is behind us and he is directing us in the path that we should go. And, and he's directing us. He's not dictating to us. See, God's a director, not a dictator. He's not forcing our hand, but he is leading us and guiding us in the way that we should go. And so tonight, I'm so excited because... We are going to dive into this text that begins to tell us that God is directing and leading us in ways in which he wants us to have the liberty to make the choice of, of, that we have. And once we are positioned in the place that he has directed us to, and he says, hey, take your pick, you have the choice. He is leading us to aisles of life that will satisfy us. And so I love this story because God is directing us, not dictating to us, but directing to us. Now, sometimes this is a tough pill to swallow when we feel kind of, if you're a believer in the house tonight, you feel kind of the nudge of the Lord when you're wanting to turn into that liquor aisle, whatever it is for you, like you're wanting to turn into that relationship because he's got an eight-pack, and you saw him playing sand volleyball in November. I don't know why he was shirtless, but he was, and you were like, oh, thank you, Jesus, right, <laughs> for sand volleyball, <laughs> and, 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 and so you thought, oh, I'm going to swerve into his lane, right? Or, or, man, you, you, um, you had the opportunity, you finally got invited to that party, and so you went, and, man, you, man, you was YOLOing, right? Whatever that means, if, if you know. Anyway, that's old. Anyway, so you was, you was living it up, right? And so you swerved, and you felt this tension. And so often, man, we go places, and God is trying to direct us away from those places. And we're like, man, I'm ready to get married. And God's like, no, no, that's not what I have for you right now. I have purpose in your singleness that you can't even comprehend. If you would quit focusing on the next season and begin to be purposeful in this season, you'd be surprised at how much I would do in your life. And some of you are like, man, I, I want this job. God, give me this job. And then, and then God's like, no, no, that's not the job for you. If you go and work at that place, you'll sell your soul. But get out of your mama's basement, okay? <laughs> He's like, get a job still, right? All right? And it's so hard at times because, because we're wanting to turn into that aisle and God's like, no, 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 that's not going to end well for you. Like there's not life there. Let me lead you to this place and then give you liberty, whatever choice you have, because this is the place in which you're going to flourish. And so tonight, James, man, he's going he's to dive in and go after our plans. And I've titled this message, Change of Plans. Because some of you are, are here tonight and you know the Lord, but the Lord is beginning to even break into your heart in this moment. And he's going to say, girl, you need to change your plans. Or, or uh, uh, buddy, you need to change your plans. And some of you may leave tonight and you need to change your relationship plans. And some of you may leave tonight and you may need to change your, your financial plans, your career plans. And some of you, you may leave tonight and you may feel the Spirit of God saying, hey, hey, you need to change your life plans. And God is going to pry into our lives tonight through the mouthpiece of James. And I'm so excited because we've all come in here tonight with an agenda. We've all come in here tonight with plans, some more sure than others. But check this out. God has come in here tonight with plans too. And when we submit our life to his, his leadership and allow him to direct our decisions and lead us to places of life, and then we experience the liberty of freedom in those places, we live the abundant life. And so for a lot of us in the room tonight, 
we need to change our plans. If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this simple statement down, your plans, your plans. James, he says it like this in verse 13. He says, come now, you who say. In the Greek, this, this phrase, come now, James is like, like he's turning the volume up in his message. He's like, hey, look, you, come here. You've you got to listen to this. And he's so emphatic, and he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. That James, what he's doing is he's calling out people who make plans apart from God. I know for me, man, this was me most of my life. I remember when I, I had the opportunity to go to college, and I was so excited for that, and I had to declare a, a major, and so I began to um, ask people, hey, you know, what would be a good uh, profession? And so I decided to get a, a nursing degree so I could join uh, Gaylord and uh, be, anyway, immersed. Anyway, so get, somebody get <laughs> um, I just decided to get a nursing degree, and, and here's what I wanted to do, man. I wanted to join one of those travel nursing gigs, you know, because, like, they'll plant you in different cities in the United States. They'll pay for you to live places, and, and I think you make more money to do that, like a contract nurse. And so I'm like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make money. I'm going to get paid, right? Get paid. I'm about to travel, see the U.S. of A. And, and, and I was wanting to be a good person, man. I'm going to be a good person. And, and that was my, my plan. And so here's what I did. I, I formulated my plan, much like a lot of you walked in here tonight. You got plans. And uh, then you said, God, I need you to bless my plans. Right? Because, God, it would be nice, you know, just like we did when we was playing sports. Lord, I need you to help me play awesome because I know that's what you want for my life. And we would formulate a plan, and what I did is I formulated a plan, and then I asked God to bless it. Yours may not be a career or a life-style uh, uh, choice like mine was. Maybe it's a, you've already planned out your wedding day and the man that you're going to marry, but you ain't even got a boyfriend, right? There's an issue there, okay? Like, it's not wrong, you know, to think, you know, dream, but hey, some of y'all, man, you need, to, you need to get off of Pinterest and the, and the secret boards and that sort of thing, Right? And some of you, man, you've already planned, like, I'm going to live in this house, in this zip code, with this type of fence. I'm going to have this type of dog. And then when he turns this age, I'm going to get this type of dog. Then I'm going to get pregnant, and I'm going to have a kid uh, of this gender, and they're going to be this age when I get pregnant again. And then the guy's thinking, yeah, and then I'm going to have a man cave, and I'm going to have an awesome beard, and, you know, all the things that we plan on doing, right? And so what happens so often is that we begin to make our plans, and James is saying, whoa, whoa, you need to change your plans, and you need to begin to ask God into your planning process. Because we have the tendency to, <laughs> the Christians, we're the worst, man. We have the tendency just to throw out verses like Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know, like a coffee cup verse. You know, we put that on t-shirts. Delighted. You know. <laughs> and, and, so, and so often we, we kind of flip this, right? We think if we have a desire in our heart that God delights in giving us that desire. And that it's his job to be like our divine waiter and to bless whatever plan we birth inside of our heart. And, and it's so crazy, man, because what happens so often is that, is that we play out our desires. And so we have a desire for relationships. And so we get into a relationship and it's not honoring God. And then it ends in a heartbreak or a heartache. And, or we have a desire for, for um, you know, community. And so we begin to go into this group and hang out with these people at the tailgate. Or we have a desire for control. And so we begin to try to manipulate our schedule and control every little thing. And then we wind up anxious. We wind up an addict. Or we wind up up heartbroken, and so often in that moment, in that, that moment where we find ourselves broken, we begin to blame God and shake our fist at him because we're like, Lord, why did you bring him into my life? 
Or God, you created her, and I don't know why you created her crazy. Maybe you were short-handed that day when you were creating people. Um, but, like, for real, God, this is on you, man. Or, or God, you, you wouldn't have made marijuana if it wasn't for my consumption. It's organic. Or, or, or God, like, God, you don't understand. Like, if I don't, if I don't control this situation, then it's going to get out of hand. And so you get so anxious about it. And so often we begin to shake our fist at God. Proverbs 19.3 says this. Note this down. I love this verse. People ruin their lives by their foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Let me run that back. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. So we dream a dream in our heart, and we think that God exists to fulfill that dream, that God exists to make us ultimately happy. And if we're not happy, then God's not happy. And so he should be blessing that relationship, even though we're knocking boots every other weekend, that God should bless this endeavor, even though we're so anxious about it, that God should bless our social life, even though we're using it to abuse substances in our life. And we're saying, God, why don't you bless because I have this desire, and don't you delight in giving me my desire? And so we dream a dream, and oftentimes it delays us from, a, from living out God's dream for our life. Don't let your dream rob you or delay you from living out God's dream for you. See, James, now, now let me be clear. He's not saying that you should not plan, all right? Everybody type A with a planner that you brought tonight. Take a deep breath, okay? Like, what does this mean, you know? And so, like, it's good. Like, God is a planner, okay? He foreordained and predestined a lot of things, okay? And so God is a planner. The book of Proverbs is chock full of, of saying, hey, man, a wise person, he makes plans. But what James is saying is that if you think you can go to such and such a place, do such and such a business for such and such a time, and never include God in your plans, you've mistaken some things. Because you have plans, but let me tell you this. Point number two, God has plans, God's plans. James, he goes on in verse 14, he says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? What a great question. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. See, God's plan begins with having a proper perspective on our life. One of the things I get to do in my line of work, and not one of my favorite things to do, but I kind of enjoy it, it's going to sound weird, is preaching funerals. Recently, I had the honor, it was a sad day, but I had the honor of preaching a funeral of one of our young adults that's here tonight, his mom. She passed away prematurely of a brain, of, of brain cancer. And I was so privileged, she said, hey, would you preach our funeral? I said, yes, I would love to. And in that moment, I'm always real clear to say, hey, did she know Christ, in which this lady did. And so I'm like, all right, I know what I'm going to say. And so I, I, I kind of wrap up the message, and I say, listen, family, death for Miss Gartman, death is a gift for her. Because in Christ's death, our greatest foe becomes the gardener that brings forth new life. And though she was plagued by this cancer and this disease, she is more alive today than ever before. And then I look at all the people and I say, oh, but death, not only is it a gift for her, but it is a gift for all of us today. Because it's in the moment when we consider death that we get perspective on our life. 
And so we have to oftentimes be forced to a funeral to gain perspective on eternity. But I'm begging you tonight, oh, that you would lean in and listen to James and say, where is my life headed? What am I doing? Where's my eternity? And not wait for the next funeral. And ask yourself the question that James just asked you, what is your life? And not think that some pithy statement is going to make is going to compensate for your lack of following Christ, some pithy statement at your funeral, of, oh, he's in a better place. Is he really? Based upon what evidence? Oh, God got another angel today. And those are cute and we say those things, but, but when it comes your day to die, what will your eternity speak? What will your vapor, what will your mist be? And James has given us perspective And he says this, he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, right? Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, that James is calling us to live a if the Lord wills life. But in order to live a if the will or if the Lord wills life, you have to know what the Lord's will is. You know what I'm saying? You can't just say, well, I hope the Lord wills this. Well, what's his will? I don't know, but I hope he wills it. Like, you, you need to know the brother, all right? J- James, like, this is his real brother, right? Like, when he said, that's my brother, my bro, like, literally, okay? And so he would say, man, what, he would ask you, do you know what the Lord's will is? Man, I remember when I was in college, man, God wrecked my life beautifully. I had all these plans to go travel to the U.S. of A. and make money and be, a, you know, a good person. But then God intersected my life, and he broke me down. He said, Chad, quit chasing those things. There's no life there. You want to see the U.S. of A., I want to show you the world. You want to make money, I want you to make an impact. You want to be a a good person, I want you to be a godly man. And he began to change me, and I I began to stop asking, God, would you bless these plans? And I began to ask this question, God, what's your plan for my life? Or the age old question probably you've asked, God, what's your will for my life? And so God has a will for your life, but let me be clear, man, that God's will for your life is not some, he's not like some sort of weird, like hide-and-seek God, like he's, you know, a lot of times we think that, you're, that God's will is this ghetto paper plate that I uh, wrote God's will on, okay? Yeah, so I'm like, your five-year-old make that? That's cool. Um, no, I did, thank you, all right? But oftentimes we think that God's will is like a dot, you know, like he's, he's hidden God's, you know, he's hidden his will somewhere, and we're like, Lord, show me your will. And he's like, I've hidden it, go find it. And then you're like, I think I... Boom, oh, I just, I'm in the center of God's will. Where is she? <laughs> All right. <laughs> is, that, is that her? <laughs> I'm here, Lord. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Don't judge me. I know you've done it. So, so we think that God's will is a dot, that there's something we got to find. But see, Jesus never said, hey, seek my will and you'll find my will. He said, seek me and you'll find me. James said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That God has not created some spot for us to find on the map. See, God's will is not a place. God's will is a person. And God's will is parameters. The two things about God's will that I want you to know real quickly is that that God's will primarily, first and foremost, is for your salvation. 1 Timothy 2 says that God desires that all men would be saved. So if you're here and you don't know the Lord and you're like, man, what are you talking about? And, and I would just ask you, where, where are you? What is your life? 
And God would say, oh, how I long to know you. See, God's will is best understood like this, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an entrance into God's will. And so I'm going to start over here. And so right here, I'm outside of God's will. And, and see, God wants us to come through the door. Jesus said in John 10 that I am the door. And he wants us to come through the door because he would later say in John 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And so once we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus, we are now in the next step of God's will. And it's best for you to think about God's will moving on to the second thing as salvation that leads to sanctification. Sanctification is a big church word, but it says this in 1 Thessalonians 4.3 that this is God's will for your life that you be sanctified for your sanctification. Sanctification is a big church word that just literally means you're made like Jesus. God has saved you to change you. He doesn't want to leave you the way you are. He doesn't care how you were found, but once he finds you, he wants to lead you into greater freedom. That every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And so you need to know that you may come here tonight and you're like, man, I've had an abortion. I, I've, I'm a crackhead. I'm the, the worst person you could think of. I don't know in your mind. I don't know who that is. Maybe you feel like the scum of the earth. I don't know what you brought in here tonight. And when you hear about the love of God, you're like, I'm so unloving, lovely. I'm worthless. There's no way that God's grace could save me. And if grace was in a race with our sin, grace would win every time. Hands down. I said this a couple weeks ago that grace would cross the finish line, go get showered, get something to eat, field a couple of, uh, of interviews, sit down, watch SVP on ESPN, and then your sin would finish the, the finish line. It's like, what even close? And so God wants you to receive him. He wants you to walk through the door. But once you're through the door, the next step is sanctification. And so we walk into this room, and I want you to imagine that we're in God's will right now, that there are walls of protection that we put around us. How do we know what the walls are? We get into God's word. God's will is God's word. He will make clear to you the principles that are to govern your relationships, your sex life, your finances, your pride, your family, your conflict, your speech, your thoughts, your eye, he will tell you what to do. And so if you're a believer and you've come through the door of salvation, you are now to live in God's will of sanctification. Just like with my, my kids, right, in that shopping cart. And so I'm directing them and then I lead them to a place that is not a specific dot, but it's an aisle where I say, hey, you have the choice. And so God wants you to be saved, and then he wants you to be in the process of being sanctified. And I love this because when I learned this, man, it liberated me. That once I knew that I didn't need to look for a dot and find the center of God's will, and if I, if I missed the dot and then I got married to a woman that wasn't when I was in the dot, and then we were 30 years down the road and we had a couple of children, and they were illegitimate children because I wasn't in the dot when I married her, and then I passed this woman down the road, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, maybe that was God's will for my life, and I've messed it all up. Like, that's not how God works. He says, man, position yourself in the parameters of my sanctifying work in your life. And then you have the freedom. So if you're looking for a spouse, like you're looking for a man, women, God says, hey, go after a man that, that raises holy hands and worship, that, that lays down his life that is a sacrificer, that, that punches passivity in the face, that runs to uh, the issues of, of our day, that is not weak but is strong, that is a man that will stand up for injustices, 
that is a man that will lead courageously and that will give his life for you. Those are the principles. Now, he's not going to tell you now. He's going to be about 5'8". Actually, he's going to be 6'8". My bad. Um, he's going to be 6'8". Like, I know you tall men, right? And, uh, and he's going to have this color eyes. His hair is going to look like this. And like God, Most of the time, my experience, God doesn't work like that. Guys, if you're looking for a wife, God's going to say, man, you need a wife that is, that is understanding who she is in Christ, that she's modest on the inside and on the out, that she doesn't boast in her beauty, but her beauty comes from within, that when you see her, you see her radiating the, the glory of Christ. And if you like redheads, then, man, tell her to dye her hair red, <laughs> whatever, like there's freedom. And so, man, I, I, God didn't tell me, hey, you're going to have a skinny woman with curly hair and green eyes. No, he said, hey, hey, Chad, you need to go after a woman that loves me with everything. You need to go after a woman that inspires your walk with God. You need to go after a woman that loves his word. And so I said, all right, Lord. And Chelsea, she met those principles, and I had the freedom to make the choice. Once you make the choice, you love the choice. You love what you chose. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And so once you make the choice, you live with the choice that you made. But God says, hey, once you enter in my will and you're surrounded by my word and by my wise counsel, man, you've got freedom. And so God is trying to liberate you tonight to walk in his plans it's not a dot. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be sanctified. And you'll have the most confidence when you are making decisions in the parameters of God's will. And you should be most concerned. And you will have the most insecurity when you're pursuing decisions outside of the parameters of his word. And so get to know what God has set before you. And the problem is a lot of us have come in here tonight and, man, we're, we're like trusting God for salvation. We're like, God, look, I know you got my eternity on, on point. Like, I know you got that. So, um, but, uh, but, but I don't know about, my, like, my sex life. Or I don't know about, about my, my worry issue. I don't know about this jealousy, this conflict I got. So I'm, I, got, I got the salvation, but I don't know if I want to trust all this. And we're trying to live like this and, and, and fulfill God's plan for our life. And he's like, bro, get out the doorway. Come inside, man. For real, that's weird, right? Like, no, God, I'm just going to hang out. <laughs> Is that turkey, you know? Man, that smells really good. No, no, he's probably, he's probably deceiving me. Uh, I, sex inside of marriage for life? Mm, I don't know. Should I trust God's plan? I know that he designed it, designed us. I don't know. And so we, I, I encourage you to walk in to the parameter of God's will and begin to choose so that you can have confidence in the decisions that you made. Should you marry him or should you marry her? Should you take this job? Should, should you move to this place? Josiah, he had a conversation with one of our young adults, and I love this because he was applying this principle beautifully, perfectly. This guy, he's one of our young adults, had the opportunity to pursue a job that was pursuing him heavily. And they said, hey, you're going to make at least six figures starting out, I think, or soon. And, and they said, man, you're the guy. You're going to do awesome. And, and so he came, started going through the interview process. And, and then he got to the part of the interview process where he got to shadow the guy that, that ultimately he would become. And then he began to just watch and, and see what this guy, what he was made of, how he talked to his wife and, and what were the issues in his life. And, and he learned that if he took this job, that was going to be him in 10 years. And he said, God, I don't think that lines up with, with your plans for my life. 
Because if I take this job, oh, the money's going to be awesome, but I'm going to have to forsake community. I'm going to have to forsake my calling to ministry. I'm going to have to forsake what you have asked me to do. He said, it's not worth it. And so at what expense will you sacrifice your soul, even just for the sake of money? What's it worth to you? God called him to do some things, and he knew this, that if he took that job, man, he would be too busy. And some of you have come in here, you're on break, and this is your story. You've been in college two years, and you've used that excuse of I'm in college and I'm too busy. Or you just launched into your young adult career. Maybe you came, came here tonight for the first time, and you, you claim to know Christ, and you've been saying, man, church, I haven't been in a while. I've just been so busy. And that guy knew that day that if I took this job, man, I would be too busy to be a Christian. And if you're too busy to be a Christian and you claim to know Christ, you're too busy. I love Jordan Eckley's testimony because he said, man, I, I changed my, my, my metric of success. It went from batting averages and sales quotas to, to sharing my faith and living on mission and being in community. He said, I changed my vision of success and God did that for him because he knew that if he was too busy to be a Christian, he was too busy. And man, once you learn this idea, man, this is so liberating. And some of you are here tonight, and, and let me just speak to this real quick, just a little side note. You're here tonight, and, and you know the Lord, you walk through salvation, you, you're in the parameters of his will, but you, you're faced with two good options. And you're like, man, what do I do? I've got two good options. And, and oftentimes we have the paralysis of analysis, you know? We're like, should I, should I go here and do this, or should I go here and do this? And you're like, Lord, where's the bush? Is it in the clouds? I need you to speak to me. You know, you're just really wrestling with what degree should I do? Oh, my gosh, this is going to affect everything in my life. And so often, man, we put too much focus on our performance and not enough focus on the security of a loving Father in heaven that says, hey, make a a choice. If you're faced with two good options, man, choose. When I came here, I made a choice. I, I said no initially to the job opportunity to be here. And for the next six weeks, God made it, he made it obvious that that was the wrong choice. But I had to make a choice. And so I made a choice, and then six weeks later, that feeling did not, that sick feeling like, you, you made a mistake. It didn't leave me, and it didn't leave my wife either. And she's a lot closer to the Lord than I am, so I'm usually like, all right, yeah, okay. All right. That's why I was thinking too, right? <laughs> and, um, and so I called my boy back up, and I'm like, hey, bro, some, you know, some of y'all know this. I just called him and said, man, I'm sorry. And it allowed me to step into this opportunity in humility. But listen, God did, he didn't think any less of me. God led me to do the very thing that he was directing me to do. And he allowed me to walk into this place clothed in humility and more grateful for the opportunity than I would have been if I would have said, yes, that's what I'm going to do. I'm about to step in here and change the place, right? But I came in saying, bro, I'm sorry. I almost missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime. And it's in our failures that it exposes our feebleness. And God uses our feebleness to do some incredible things. He causes us to be dependent upon him. And dependency is the goal. And so our weakness is our advantage. Josiah says that all the time. I love that. That God is saying, I want you dependent upon me. Sometimes you may have to fail inside the parameters of my will and make a choice. And it may not be the right one, but at least you chose. you got to keep moving. To wait on the Lord is not passive. You fast and you pray and you seek godly counsel and then you make a decision and you move. And don't be afraid 
of failing. Because our greatest lessons are in our greatest defeats. And so sometimes God will allow you to do that so that he can work in his advantage. So what happens when we are in that place? Like, what do we do? What, what, are, what are some handles? What does it look like? Point number three, if you're taking notes tonight, I want to encourage you, and James is going to encourage you to work the plan. Work the plan. And so if you don't know what to do, man, do what you know you ought to do. And James, he says this in James 4, 16, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows the, to do good and does not do it, to him it, it is sin. That James is echoing this new category of sin that Jesus introduced in the Gospels and in his life. See, traditionally, people thought that sin was, was like the bad things to do. And for most of my Christianity, I, I was like, man, if, if somebody was to say, you know, Chad, you know you're a sinner. I'm like, yeah, I've done a lot of bad stuff, man. And I've deduced sin down to just the negative things. And so like a lot of you, maybe you've come in here tonight and, and you think Christianity is just a, a list of what you don't do. Like you're defined by what you don't do. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't cuss, therefore I'm a Christian. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't say like the four-letter word. Like I made up some words, right? You know what I'm saying? Like I, like I say like Jiminy Christmas instead of like, you know, the other word. Or I say like fudge, you know, or whatever. And so like I made up some words, but the heart's still there, okay? So you need to work that out, you and the Lord. Or maybe you're like, you know, I, I really don't watch rated R movies unless they're about Jesus, right? Or history like Ben-Hur or something like that, you know? And so like you're, you're defined by that. You're like, I don't go to those places because there's smoke there. You're like, yeah, but you're going to burn essential oils in your diffuser all day, right? Which is hurting me too. Anyway, and so a lot of us, we're defined by that. But what James is saying is that sin is not just the things that you do that are wrong, but it's the good things that you don't do. And Jesus said this. He introduced a new category of sin. That it's the good that's left undone. When I talk to my girls and, I, and I, I'm responsible for teaching them this, I say, hey, hey baby, let me just tell you that, that, that sin, like when you, when you clawed your sister in the arm and she's bleeding, that's a sin. Like you shouldn't do that, okay? We love people. That's not how you love people. She said, oh, it was an accident. Explain to me how that accidentally happened. We're going to have to talk, right? And I, and I make the baby watch. You better watch so you learn right now. You know, it's like nine months old. What's going on? Why is she crying? I'm like, you better not do this in a few years, right? And then I followed up with this. I say, hey, if you don't apologize to your sister after this spanking, that's a sin too. Because the good that you know you ought to do and you don't do, that's a sin. And so God is saying, look, your life is not going to be liberated. You're not going to experience the abundant life just by abstaining from things. But he's like, man, I've got some things for you to do. And when you see the things that I've entrusted for you to do and you leave them by the wayside, you're sinning. And so God wants to you to do what the, the plan is. Like sometimes God, I think he's saying to us, man, why would I trust you with my unrevealed will when you haven't been faithful to do my revealed will? Like God, why would God give you a word if you hadn't done nothing with his word? And so, so many times we think that God's going to lead us to a new place when we haven't been faithful in the place that we've been called. When I was playing college football, our, our coach, we, he would show, we would show up, you know, like 6 a.m., just kind of like, 
you know, kind of in a sleep slumber mode, and, and he was the guy like the little chihuahua coach, you know, like all bark, no bite, you know, like little guy, and like, man, he, but he was amped. I think he'd already had like three Red Bulls by 6 a.m., and so I'm like, bro, you need to calm down, turn the volume down, right? But he'd always say this, what's your plan? What's your plan, man? Let's get to work. What's your plan? And so we'd come in there, and we're like, what's my plan? Oh, yeah, I'm bench pressed today, or I'm squats today, and he knew that if we didn't know what our plan was, and we didn't execute our plan, then we wouldn't get them gained like we was hoping to get. And God knows if you don't know what his plan is and you don't exercise his plan, you ain't going to get the gains that God wants you to get. That God has some intentions for your life, but you've got to apply your decisions to his intentions to your life if you're going to reach the destination that he has for your life. And so you need to hear that you need to begin to work the plan. Let me give you two ways to work the plan. Thanksgiving. Give thanks. If you want to do good, man, give thanks and give love. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That the secret of contentment, Joe says this, Josiah says the secret of contentment, I love this, the secret of contentment is gratitude. God listened to preach, he says that gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for Christian living. The secret of contentment is gratitude. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for Christian living. Give thanks. And so maybe this may be weird for you at your home this, this week, Thanksgiving. Maybe you, you're going to sit at a table, hopefully. Maybe it's like a, a fold-out table, a card table. I don't know how you do you. Maybe it's a big fancy table, whatever. But you sit at that table. Maybe this isn't common for your family, but maybe you do this. Like you sit down and go, hey, hey, while we're eating, why don't we just say something that we're thankful for this year? And why don't we say something that we're thankful for in the people at the table? So I'll make my kids do this. Hey, I want you to tell your sister, what are you thankful for in her? I'm thankful that she plays with me. Tell your mom, what are you thankful for in your mom? I'm thankful that she cooks for me. Tell your dad, what are you thankful for in your dad? And I even asked for it for me. I'm, I'm thankful that you work hard for me. And allow us to begin to activate that gratitude in our life because there's life there. You want anxiety to go down? Be grateful. Quit focusing on what you don't have and start relishing and thanking God for the things that you do have. It is God's will for your life to be thankful. So give thanks and then give love. John says it like this. Jesus said it in John, John 15, 13, that greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends, that if you're going to follow Jesus, part of the package deal is that you sacrifice yourself. What would it look like if you went to your family this week, and you were the agent uh, in the expression of God's love. How awesome would that be? Oh, yeah, he's, he think y'all up and up, going to church all the time. But can, can they tell how that's affected your life? And so maybe you're going into the war zone. Like maybe that's your family, right? Like, put on the chin strap, here we go, right? And if you're going into the war zone, the way that you give love is that you make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the earth. That God wants us to be the agent of love. Maybe you're going into the war zone, or maybe some of y'all feel like you're, like, let's just be real, you're going to the resort, right? Like your mama, like she's so glad Hercules is home, right? Sit back, baby. You watch TV. Can I get you something? Oh, his tea is half, I need to go fill that up, baby. You're doing okay? Golly, you look so good, baby. Like your mom just thinks you hung the moon, right? And you kick your feet like, yeah, good to be home. And you think all women should treat you like that? No, that ain't right, all right? And so what I would say to you is if you think it's a resort time, let me tell you the way that you express your love is you serve. 
Quit thinking you're the captain of your house and start acting like you're the custodian. And show somebody that you love them. Your family does not exist for you. And go home and serve and show them that you love them. Well, as I close tonight, um, I want to just turn your attention back to verse 14. Man, this is one of those verses for me that, man, as as, as I have walked with Christ for many years now, man, this verse is one that I keep coming back to. And it gives perspective on my life. And I want to close with a, a final challenge and, and, a, and a final illustration that's probably really familiar. But every time I, I see this illustration or every time I use this illustration, man, it grabs a hold of me and it gives me perspective. And so James, he says it like this in verse 14. He says, for what is your life? You can almost see him saying, what are you doing with your life? What are you living for? What do you dream about? What is the thing that you've got to have? And if it's anything other than God, you're robbing life from your life. He says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So James tells us to consider what we're doing with our life. And I want you to imagine that this rope represents your life. That it represents a... um, uh, uh, um, the time of your existence. And I want you to imagine that this rope just goes on and on and on forever. And that this piece of tape, like this is the beginning of time, and we work through like, you know, B.C. and then A.D. and like, you know, there's the Hittites and the, you know, all those people that you learned about in school. And then, you know what I'm saying? All right. I was a biology, not history. All right. Then you got like America, right? And that's a big deal. And then you. And, and you were born like in 96 or something. Maybe you're an 87 model. I don't know. <laughs> and what happens is that, is that we live, and James is calling us to consider to not only live for this life. See, we live most of our little life and save and work hard so that we can enjoy just this little bit, Maybe. And we show a complete disregard for all of this that's coming. And we live so much of our life in this life thinking, oh, if I can, if I can live for the weekend and live for the vacation and, and get the 401K and get the benefits and get the wife and get the husband and get the children. And if I can just get all these things, oh, I'll have everything I've ever wanted. And we're living for such small dreams when God has such a big dream in our life. And it's so crazy that we would, we would get so anxious and so worried and so jealous and so convoluted on such a small portion of our existence. Listen, you will live forever somewhere. And the gravity of what James is trying to tell us tonight is that your life is a vapor. But what the Bible says and what James says over and over is that what we do in this life affects all of this. And so when was the last time that you felt stupid for sacrificing something in this for this? When was the last time somebody said, man, you're crazy for your conviction. You're not going to have sex with her before you're married? Why would you do that? Well, you're crazy for spending money like that, for giving to those people. You know they're not going to help. You should save that money. And so often, man, we're living for such a short thing when God says, man, there is eternity at hand. And what you do with your vapor 
will determine the victory or the defeat of your eternity. I'd say, man, you're crazy or you're stupid if you're not considering eternity in this life. What is your life? Where are you? If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would be remiss not to give you an opportunity that there's a God, he loves you so much that he laid down his life every night I go into my kid's room and I, and I make sure their blanket is on them because I want them warm and I, and I kiss them and I say, I love you, you're my princess. Have sweet dreams. Even on the nights like tonight when I get home late and they don't ever know that I'm in there because I care about my children. And God says that that, that is but a shadow, but a passing glimmer of the gravity and the greatness of his love for you. The bad news is that you're more lost than you could have ever have admitted. But the good news is, is that you're more loved more than you ever had dreamed for. And maybe the change of plan you need is to step in a right relationship with a God that expresses his love by this, that while you are yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And he didn't stay in the grave, but he rose from the grave victoriously so that you can trust that all of his promises are yes and amen. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much just for this opportunity to be here tonight. God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are doing a work in our life. God, I ask for the man that's here today that just feels confused. He feels lost, out of place, disjointed in life. God, that you would help him to see that you have plans for his life. Plans to prosper him, to give him hope and a future. God, that you have thoughts for his life that that you say, delight yourself in me, and then you'll place a dream and desire in our heart. God, I pray that that man would be awakening to that reality. I pray for the young lady that's, that feels so disheveled, so discontent, that's, that's lost her attitude of gratitude. God, I pray that you would restore to her the joy of her salvation, that you'd give her purpose, and God, I pray that you would help us to experience the liberty instead of asking the question, what's your specific will for me, God, that we would ask uh, the question, God, am I pleasing you with my decisions? And that we would, uh, we would submit to your direction, God, and you would lead us to places of life. Give us the liberty to choose in the presence and the parameters of your will. In Jesus' name I pray.